Good morning. This is Northern Light for Friday, December 29th. I'm Monica Sandresky. Todd is off this week. The North Country is one of three winners of the state's regional economic development competition with a plan to help Fort Drum soldiers remain in the area. More details coming up. Also, if you are driving around Buffalo and you happen to be black, you are 3.1 times more likely to get pulled over by the city police department compared to a white person. They never gave me a ticket or anything. They ended up letting me go because they just wanted to search my vehicle. So probably in the wrong neighborhood where it's crime or stuff. So I'm not really sure, but I felt like I was being harassed for the wrong reason. More context for this issue coming up. Also, birders fan out in the Adirondacks tomorrow morning to help the National Audubon Society with their annual bird count. Ticonderoga's Main Street has been filling back up over the last few years. We put (laughs) everything into it. Everything. But what will get in return, not just us, but the town, I mean, is just so worth it. Hopefully this will be seen for generations. It's making a huge change. And John Warren checks the trail conditions for us this last weekend of 2023. All of that and more is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Support for Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio comes from the Depot Theater Westport, a professional equity theater in the Adirondacks celebrating its 45th season, depotheater.org. And by NCC Systems, protecting North Country businesses and homes for 50 years, offering cameras, security, fire alarms, and entry control, nccsystems.com. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. The North Country's Regional Economic Development Council is one of three statewide to win $10 million in state funding. The money is for a project to retain and retrain Fort Drum soldiers in their families once they leave the military. According to the plan, the North Country region is expected to experience a shortage of about 48,000 workers over the next decade due to potential job growth and an aging retiring population. Meanwhile, 3,600 soldiers at Fort Drum, the Army base near Watertown, transition into civilian life every year, not including a 1,000 spouses. The plan, called Next Move NY, will encourage some of those people to remain in the North Country and fill the workforce gap. In a statement, North Country REDC co-chairs Kate Morris and James McKenna said the strategic plan would offer Fort Drum soldiers, quote, a seamless connection to jobs, credentialing, and degrees in the North Country. Long Island and the Mohawk Valley were the other two regions to win $10 million state grants. The Regional Economic Development Council program was started under former Governor Andrew Cuomo. It's a 10-region competition for state funds that's often been called the Hunger Games of Economic Development. Prosecutors have considered offering a plea agreement to the man charged with kidnapping a nine-year-old girl in Saratoga County this fall. That's 
if he's connected to two unsolved cases and admits to it. 46-year-old Craig Ross was arrested in October after police found Charlotte Senna in a cupboard near his mother's trailer. Senna had gone missing from Moreau Lake State Park two days earlier. According to the Albany Times Union, police are looking into whether Ross is involved in two unsolved abduction and homicide cases near where he lives in Milton from the early 2000s. Two young women went missing and were found dead in Lake Desolation State Forest about 10 miles away. At the time, Ross lived in the same trailer park as one of the victims. The Times Union reports that preliminary discussions on a plea agreement with Ross were put on hold when his attorney took a new job. A plea deal would likely include at least 25 years to life in prison. Sources told the paper that investigators have no evidence linking Ross to the other kidnappings. In 2020, after the police murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, New York, uh, Minneapolis, New York required all police departments to submit forms to address racial disparities. In Buffalo, the city created a stop receipt, a way to track all the drivers police pulled over. Public radio station WBFO has found that despite making up a third of Buffalo's population, black drivers get more than half of the stop receipts. WBFO's Holly Kirkpatrick reports. Buffalo is a city designed for driving, so many people make their way around by car. But some people can move around more freely than others. If you're driving around Buffalo and you're black, then you're over three times more likely to get pulled over by the Buffalo Police Department compared to a white person. That's one of the findings from WBFO's analysis of three years of traffic stop receipt data recorded by the Buffalo Police. Essentially, there are racial disparities in traffic stops, with black drivers being disproportionately stopped by the BPD. Drivers like James Clark. I was followed before I was even pulled over and stopped, so I think they just made up an excuse for a reason to stop me. Clark estimates that he's been stopped by the BPD approximately four times in the last three years. He says officers have searched his vehicle each time. They never gave me a ticket or anything. They ended up letting me go because they just wanted to search my vehicle. So I felt like I was just being racial profiled and because I was black driving, probably in the wrong neighborhood where it's crime or stuff. So I, I'm not really sure, but I felt like I was being harassed for the wrong reason. Clark's hunch about stops varying by neighborhood is confirmed in the data. The analysis of the stop receipts shows that zip codes with majority black residents have more total traffic stops than those with majority white residents. So, what is a stop receipt? And where does this data come from? People have come out to proclaim that black lives matter. Stop receipts have been in use since June 2020, when, in response to the protests after the police murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown announced they'd be mandated as part of Buffalo's reform agenda. Stop receipts must be issued by officers when a traffic ticket is not, designed as a less punitive way to make streets safer and to create greater transparency in the BPD. And in July 2021, they were written into local law. So the whole point of stop receipts was to expose um, what we already knew was happening to, to, to black drivers, which was driving while black, right? Jolanda Hill is the co-founder and coordinator of the Fair Fines and Fees Coalition, one of the groups that advocated for the stop receipts in Buffalo. We've taken a look at that three years worth of data and I've just now shown you the findings. What is your reaction to those findings? 
My reaction is I'm not surprised at all. That That's just the country we live in. We live in a country where systemic structural racism is a thing. And as a result of that, the stories of black folks and brown folks are hardly, if ever, believed until you collect the data for it to say, hey, you know, here you go. This is what we've been saying all along, but here are the numbers. And the numbers ring alarm bells for Bobby Hodgson, supervising attorney at the New York Civil Liberties Union. This suggests, you know, certainly suggests that there could be racial profiling happening. People could be stopped because of the color of their skin. It raises a host of civil liberties and civil rights concerns about why the Buffalo PD is doing what it's doing. Everybody knows what sort of very serious outcomes can flow from a a vehicle stop. Everything from being arrested to police violence to vehicles being seized. And when they're happening at disproportionate rates to Black people in Buffalo... That means people are at risk just from from going out in their car. And there's another way the BPD could be legally exposed. Our findings show that for almost a quarter of records, officers are not properly recording the race of the driver as mandated under the city's right-to-know law. And as you buckle up for a journey around the city, bear this in mind on your travels. Of the nine council districts... Fillmore District has the most total stops. It's alarming and concerning and I think where I really want to get to the kind of the brass tacks of it to the police department is is why. Fillmore District Council member Mitch Nowakowski says people travel to his district to commit crime and residents often tell him they'd like more police patrols as a consequence. But traffic stops are not intended to be used as a blunt tool to look for other criminal offences. That would be a violation of the Fourth Amendment. So it's like, how do we untangle all of these things so that not only do people feel safe, are we solving crimes, but that we're also not disproportionately targeting uh, minority communities? For Jolanda Hill, one solution is to remove police from traffic enforcement altogether. She's working with the Vera Institute of Justice and their national coalition called Stop the Stops to develop policies to remove armed police from traffic enforcement and to replace them with unarmed civilian traffic safety officers. But that process will take time. Because let's face it, police have been enforcing traffic safety for decades. So to just remove them and it's just like, you know, that that's irresponsible advocacy. So obviously we're working with lawyers, we're working with people that are experts, people with living experiences to write a smart policy that makes sense. For drivers, that makes sense for city government, that makes sense for residents. In a statement in response to this story, Mike DeGeorge, the city's director of communications and senior advisor to the mayor, did not directly address the findings or claims made in this piece. He said that if anyone has an issue regarding a traffic stop, they're asked to call the Buffalo Police Department and file a complaint. In the meantime, Nowakowski has committed to filing WBFO's findings with the council's police oversight committee. I'm Holly Kirkpatrick for North Country Public Radio. You can find the full story from our fellow NPR station WBFO, along with visualizations of the data and the City of Buffalo's full statement on our website, ncpr.org.
You're listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. It's about 10 after 8. Good morning. I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up on the show, John Warren checks the trail conditions for us in the Adirondacks this weekend, this last weekend of 2023. That's in just a few minutes right here on Northern Light, which is supported by Seacom uh, Credit Union, serving the financial needs of people throughout northern New York and northwestern Vermont in person, online at seacom.org and on your smartphone. And by the Adirondack Foundation and the Adirondack Birth to Three Alliance, dedicated to providing all children the best possible start in life, adirondackbt3.org. Music now by Mark Corey out of Watertown. Ticonderoga's Main Street has seen a lot of changes in the last few years. The town newspaper moved its office there, the food co-op expanded and moved in, and a bunch of small women-owned businesses opened their doors, many of them during, during the first two years of the pandemic. Well, it might sound counterintuitive, that's following a nationwide trend. 2020 saw the highest number of new small businesses open since 2005. We're revisiting some of our favorite stories of 2023, and Amy Fire Eisel visited Ticonderoga last spring, and this is her story. 36-year-old Jamie Cool grew up in Ticonderoga, and she remembers what their main street, Montcalm, felt like when she was a kid in the 1990s. We used to have Ames, which was like a department store back in the day, and next door was like Newberries, and you could go in there and sit and get like a milkshake. Then, like many small towns across rural America, those businesses closed, a Walmart moved in, and Montcalm Street languished. In many ways, Ticonderoga became a bedroom community, with people driving elsewhere for work and their groceries. But Cool would like to change that. She sees potential here, even if her younger self didn't. Um, couldn't wait to leave, which most of us are like that. I feel like coming out of high school and then ended up coming back in my adult years, and I don't want to ever leave. You know, I like it now. I want to raise my kids here. Cool is just one in a group of younger women who have opened stores on Montcalm Street in recent years, part of a wave of new small businesses across America. And many of them, like Cool, moved back to Ticonderoga to do it. Cool is the co-founder of the Adirondack Trading Post, a maker's co-op. You can find local food, crafts, and clothing here. Cool makes custom t-shirts. She and the other makers share the rent and take turns staffing the store. They're in a big old house on Montcalm Street. And our goal is to take over this whole bottom floor of this building. This room is where Nicole, Michelle, and Katie will come into. So we'll take that wall down so it'll flow right over. Cool wants the building full of local vendors and Montcalm Street bustling. That might feel like a tall order. Ticonderoga only has about 5,000 residents. Small businesses have been on the decline in the North Country for decades. But something is happening here. There's still empty buildings and everything, but you can feel the momentum in the people in the town. 
That's 29-year-old Megan Scuderi. She recently opened Blee's Salon and Spa. It's across the street from the Adirondack Trading Post. Scuderi spent most of her 20s in New York City in real estate staging. She came back to Ticonderoga a few years ago and started a floral design business. And I just kind of, you know, fell back in love with my hometown. And also, I've kind of always wanted to own a business. And the opportunity was here and not necessarily in New York. <laughs> so it's a lot when she saw this 3,000-square-foot building go up for sale with a small hair salon already in it, Scuderi jumped and is expanding it into a sort of one-stop beauty destination. She says the community is all in. People are taking what income they have and they're willing to invest it into the local businesses. You know, they want to support the people they know, which is super encouraging. She says she was inspired by other stores opening, that there's this snowball effect going on, a community of business owners propping each other up. Well, the ladies are dominating. That's Nicole Torelli. She's 44, and she recently started a home business making all-natural bath products. And it's a great core group. We're all of varying ages. We definitely have turned into our own cheerleaders. Torelli sells her products around town, including at Riverside Salon, where she's worked for decades as a hairdresser. She had a front row seat to the Barron downtown, which always felt like a shame to her. We sit here every day. The traffic's here. We didn't have anything to make them stop. Now there's starting to be a reason to stop. Ticonderoga's Chamber of Commerce president, Matthew Courtright, says when he joined the chamber 10 years ago, they were excited to see two businesses open in a year. You know, and a couple of businesses opening up is a big deal. When we're seeing, you know, in the last five or six years, dozens of businesses opening And that didn't stop during the pandemic. In the last two years alone, he says 20 new small businesses opened in Ticonderoga. I don't think we've ever hosted so many ribbon cuttings in our life. It's it's just been crazy. I assumed to myself, everyone we were working with that was planning to open businesses would kind of pause. They did not. He credits area organizations like Pride of Ticonderoga, but also individual effort and this snowball effect. He also echoed something I heard from others, that the pandemic sort of retrained people around small business. Courtright says the chamber pushed their Think Local campaign really hard. Push, 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 think local. We need to educate everyone on on the importance right now. And the community really responded. They took it seriously. And it hasn't stopped. And he's pretty confident it won't stop anytime soon because Ticonderoga was just chosen for a $10 million New York State downtown revitalization grant in January. Ticonderoga couldn't get a bigger grant. This is the big kahuna. Of course, the grant isn't a magic wand. Not every small business will make it. And there's a certain element here of having to build it and believe they will come. That's certainly the case with Megan Cunningham, a 39-year-old Ticonderoga native who made a career opening restaurants in Houston and Nashville. Doing it for other people is great, very rewarding, but this means more because it's my town. She moved back to Ticonderoga in 2019, and she and her father are building a huge 180-seat restaurant just a stone's throw from Montcalm Street, perched on the Lachute River. I mean, the scenery here is absolutely gorgeous, stunning. I missed it when I wasn't here. So we wanted to make something a little bit different for Ticonderoga. They're turning what was a derelict furniture factory into a farm-to-table restaurant, Paper and Pencil, named after the Ticonderoga paper mill and graphite mine. It looks like a restaurant you'd see on a city block, not rural Essex County. Cunningham says she knows she's taking a leap. We put (laughs) 
everything into it, everything. But what we'll get in return, not just us, but the town, I mean, is just so worth it. Hopefully this will be seen for generations. It's making a huge change. Cunningham says if enough people take these leaps, invest in where they want to live, things change. Ticonderoga doesn't have to be a bedroom community. Amy Feierisel, North Country Public Radio on Montcalm Street. This story came to us from Marianne Ruppel, uh, Rappel, a resident of Ticonderoga and a member of NCPR's Texting Club. She was responding to our call for story tips about good things happening in North Country communities. And if you have a story tip you'd like to share, text TIP to 315-978-6277. That's TIP to 315-978-6277. Most New York Racing uh, Most New York Racing Association racing will occur at Aqueduct Racetrack in Queens in 2024. NYRA unveiled its schedule yesterday for 195 racing days, while Belmont Park on Long Island undergoes reserva- renovations. Belmont Stakes will be held at the Saratoga Racecourse in Saratoga Springs for the first time as part of a four-day festival starting June 6th. Saratoga will then open for its regular 40-day meet July 11th, running through Labor Day. Other 2024 meets will be held at Aqueduct. And New Yorkers are encouraged to get outside and take a hike on New Year's Day. It's the Office of Parks, Recreation, and Historic Preservation's 13th annual First Day Hike Celebration. Dozens of state parks and attractions are hosting events. In the North Country, Wellesley Island State Park in the Thousand Islands, Moreau State Park near Glens Falls, and Point Rush in Plattsburgh will have guided hikes for visitors. Some events do require registration. You can find out more on our website, ncpr.org. You're listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Monica Sandresk. It's about 20 after 8. Good morning. So glad you could join us. Coming up, uh, John Warren checks the trail conditions for us in the Adirondacks. Then after that, it's Bird Note coming up after the show. Tree Swifts are the minimalists of the birding world. A tree swift's, tree swift's whole nest is just a tiny cup, just large enough to hold a single egg. We'll find out more just ahead at 8.42. Those tree swifts are native in India and New Guinea, so probably not too many of them tomorrow for the Saranac Lake Christmas bird count. In the morning, bird lovers will fan out across wetlands, mountains, and lakes looking for birds as part of a nationwide Audubon bird counting effort. The goal of it is to document and monitor bird biodiversity in the area. And this year, 34 people are looking for and identifying birds by walking, driving, paddling, and skiing. Stephen Langdon is an ecologist and has been coordinating this event since 2018. It's a seven and a half mile radius circle. And we send out 
people to different territories within that huge area. It's a, a great deal of diversity of terrain. So we go from a, just shy of 4,000 feet up on Moose and Mackenzie Ridge to, you know, to the lowest point on the Saranac River as it, as it heads out to the northeast. They go out and they record the species and number of individuals of birds they see on this assigned territory. You know, this is a mix of, of a fun citizen science project when everybody is home. And the statistical rigor of the sampling design does allow for tracking of changes in bird diversity over time. And we, we have to remember that this is one of, I think, hundreds of bird counts across the country and across Canada. The national count has been going on for about 125 years now, and this is the 68th year in Saranac Lake, supported by the Northern New York Audubon Society. Langdon will also compile the data from the bird count. He took over in 2018 from Larry Master, who ran the Christmas bird count for over three decades. It's a bit of a chore, but it's it's fun work, and um, I'm actually very good at, at doing the data end of things. I'm a mediocre birder, so I... I became the compiler, volunteered to become the compiler just because it got me exposed to really smart people who are good at identifying birds. He says if you're interested in joining in on next year's bird count, Langdon is already recruiting. He's in special search of counters willing to hoof it up mountains and hike into remote forest lands. You can find his contact info at ncpr.org. Support for Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio comes from St. Lawrence Health, offering my care a way for patients to access health information and stay connected to their care team. Registration is available at stlawrencehealthsystem.org. And last check, it was 39 degrees in Sackett's Harbor, Harbor, 37 in Malone, uh, 40 degrees in Lake George, and 39 degrees in Old Forge. Rain showers becoming a wintry mix, likely, for much of the region. Highs in the upper 30s to about 40 for much of the area. Overnight tonight, a wintry mix is possible with lows around freezing uh, throughout the region. And tomorrow, isolated snow showers, that wintry mix, some rain different kinds of mushy precipitation in the forecast for tomorrow with highs around freezing clearing up though by Sunday and into Monday but for a more thorough look at what that means for the trail conditions in the Adirondacks here's John Warren with the New York Almanac on Saturday sunrise will be at about 731 and sunset at about 426 winter seems to have retreated this week at least at lower elevations There remains winter conditions with fresh snow this morning at higher elevations, however, and colder weather on the way for the entire region tonight. Temperatures on high peak summits will remain in the teens through the weekend with wind chills near zero. Expect some fresh snow Saturday on summits as well. Rivers and streams are well above normal for this time of year. Rivers and streams are open and will be difficult and some impassable this weekend. Lake Champlain is near flood stage. Snow cover at lower and mid-elevations is all but gone, with the exception of above about 2,500 feet, where up to several inches remains in places. Expect to encounter trails that are wet and muddy in some spots, and lightly snow-covered and icy in others. Carry traction devices. 
There is no backcountry skiing or even cross-country skiing at groomed facilities and won't be until at least New Year's Day at the earliest. Real diehards may find a little at Mount Van Hovenberg by Sunday thanks to their superior snowmaking capabilities, but definitely call ahead. Downhill skiers and boarders will find a few trails open at Whiteface and Gore this weekend thanks to cold temperatures that will allow for the snow guns to start again, but call ahead to smaller mountains. Unfortunately, those are the outdoor conditions in the Adirondacks as we head into 2024, and I wish you all a snowier and pleasant new year. For North Country Public Radio, this is John Warren from the New York Almanac, online at newyorkalmanac.com. So sweet. Always appreciate John Warren here on Northern Light every every Friday, so faithfully here for the show. A, uh, a happy New Year to him as well. Well, over the past couple of weeks, we've been peppering in some music that came out of the North Country in 2023. And today we'll head to Burlington to hear from the group The Worm Dogs. This is their song, The Other One's Heart, that they produced this year. You don't gotta be brave to be the one You don't gotta have wit You don't need to have charm You don't gotta look cool You don't need to be smart You just gotta be the one for the other one's heart There's so many people out there they all can't be that great Still love is all around here It always finds a way Not a perfect match Made in paradise Just a couple from Tennessee Who were better off together So they weather anything 